Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 342, Psychology of the Exceptional Child. I hope you listen and enjoy. This is still class five, and this is session three, and we're going to look a little bit at um, preventing a speech or a language impairment so that we don't have to actually treat it. Most of the time when you're seeing children pick up their language skills, um, they generally do do it with what we would call acceptable limits. It's reasonably understandable for the most part. Um, We typically do learn language in a social context. So TV is not a good place to be picking up your language. The best way for children to be, be learning language is for the people in their um, their worlds to be talking with them quite frequently. And really that should start as soon as they're born. They're not talking back yet, but you should be talking to them and reading to them um, as young as possible. And they begin to just absorb all this language, um, just like a sponge picks up water. So it's really important. The best way to prevent any kind of impairment is to give these really enriched early language experiences, both to infants and to young children. Um, Just narrate life to them. Tell them what you're doing, you know, set them down when you're making dinner and talk to them about, you know, we're chopping up the carrots and what color carrots are. And it's hard a lot of times for adults because you feel really stupid um, because you're saying the same thing over and over and over again and giving a lot of redundancy to children. You know, here's a truck. This is a red truck. Where's the red truck going? And, you know, that sort of makes us feel a little stupid. Um, But the kids really thrive on that sort of thing. And they really do better with a a person who is doing this with them than they would if you just put them in front of, like, Sesame Street or Mr. Rogers or whatever's on these days. Um, So those are the best ways. Characteristics here. If it is an expressive language issue, remember, this is your speech side. Um, what you oftentimes will see is that the child's vocabulary is quite limited. They may know a handful of words, um, but certainly nowhere near the number of words they should know um, for their age. Um, they're going to have grammar and syntax issues, even though that's more of a language problem um, than a speech one. It's going to affect um, how they're speaking. Um, because they have such limited uh, information, they repeat that information a lot. They, they really only know how to say a few things, and they'll say it over and over, and they really don't understand um, how to set up questions, and so there's difficulty in, in getting their message across. All right, with receptive language, this is your understanding. All right, and so note following directions. You're orally telling them what you want them to do. I'd like for you to go sit down. And they just look at you like, huh. All right, because they didn't process what you asked of them. And so they can't do it. Um, the humor or the figurative language. This is when we're saying things that, um, you know, like, um, oh, I just want to take you home with me. Well, we don't really mean that. But then they're scared of you because they're afraid that you're really going to take them home. Or you say, I've got my eye on you. And they look down, you know, at their shoulder to say, where did you put the eye? Um, they just don't understand those kinds of expressions at all. And it confuses them. Um, any kind of complex sentence that's, you know, got quite a number of words in it, they're, they're going to really struggle with that. They need very, very simple sentences. 
And then note, they don't uh, respond to the questions appropriately because they didn't understand what you asked them. Um, and so they'll give you some answer. You'll ask them, you know, when did Columbus come to America? And they'll say George Washington. Um, they just don't know really what you've asked. And they just want to say something, so you'll leave them alone. Our assessment process is going to use a mixture of measurements, formal measures or standardized tasks, some of those norm reference tasks. Informal measures are real fun. They just really literally look in the kid's mouth um, to see if everything is formed correctly, if the palate is where it belongs, if the teeth um, are in the right position, because if they have teeth that stick out, um, that can make it very hard for them to realize where their tongue needs to go. Um, they'll just sit and talk with the child um, to see. That's a very informal measure just to see what the child is able to do. Um, so some of the other things that we'll look at, case histories, um, you know, getting a background of, of what's been going on. Note some interviews with the family to talk about um, when did the child first begin to speak? When was the first word? Some of that's developmental info there. Um, we look at their health to see if there's a reason why there may be some issues. Um, what's going on in the family? Because stress in the family can affect a child's speech. And then we do all our standard assessments that we would normally do. Right, the professionals who would be involved in this would involve the teachers of the child, maybe your preschool teacher, um, or the classroom teacher. Um, speech language pathologists are trained to work with children in both the areas of speech or language difficulties and they are able to not only assess um, the problem but they also work with the child. An audiologist is someone who assesses the hearing of a child and also can prescribe hearing aids um, for a child. Um, neurologists are going to oftentimes work with the child if we think that this is based on a, a brain disorder like the central auditory processing disorder would probably involve a neurologist. Um, possibly though you might get by with a physician um, and so they may be involved if there's like a malformation of the mouth. Early intervention is really, really helpful, especially in this field. It's good for any of our fields. We like to get in early and start working with our children. Um, there's two big reasons here why we would like to have early intervention. All right, the more you speak incorrectly, the more it becomes a pattern for you and a habit. So the older you are, when we start trying to make the changes, um, the smaller our chance of actually making those changes is going to be. So the younger we can can go in and start making those um, additions and adjustments to your speech, the better chance we have of, of having that work. Um, and another big reason is if you can't communicate, you really aren't a true social being. You're not being able to connect with the other people in your world. And, and God created us to be relational, to be connected to other people. And we do have to have at least some amount of language to be able to do that. So that would be, at least the basics would be functional language. All right, so early development and early interaction um, really are going to have a lot to do with what kind of language interactions with your caregivers that you have. All right, you want to have... Um, just as much quantity as possible. You, you really want to immerse them in language. And the nature of these interactions should be 
to where you're just very much trying to make this uh, a comfortable situation, fun for the child. You want to talk to them about a lot of things. It shouldn't be yelling. Um, and this shouldn't be very passive. I mean, the child should be as an active part um, in these interactions. All right, pre-linguistic communication is the type of communication that a child will have before they actually know words. And again, this is things like pointing, um, they can wave, they can nod their head, um, you know, maybe smile at you. There are ways of, of hold their hands up um, to get picked up. There's things like that that they can do to kind of let you know um, what they want. And they're pretty good at, at doing that. But obviously, we want to move past that. Um, and then one of the big things is to get our families involved. And early intervention does this. They will work with the families to teach them how to work with the child and teach them to begin to really um, talk a lot to the children, even though they may have a problem with that. A lot of folks don't like to talk to kids if the kids don't talk back. Um, we want to provide stimulating experiences where you may go to the zoo and you get to talk about all the animals that you see. Or we may even teach them how to go to the library and get a book and, and you know, talk about the pictures within that book. Um, so we want really to, to see a lot of content um, material here. Um, we want use of language in a, in a really social contacts because again that passive stuff the children are really not going to learn uh, what you think they would learn um, every day we should have conversations with our children um, children are left alone a lot of times and really nobody talks to them and they're clearly not going to learn language in a situation like that um, a good thing to do would be to provide peers to talk with them, some social interaction with someone their own age. Um, this isn't going to help much unless they're at least two and a half or three um, because children aren't speaking that much before that and it's not going to be a great motivator. But at least the older kids, this could be quite useful. Um, play is is really key if it's sociodramatic. And this is your like dress-up play uh, where you pretend... Um, that you're going to do um, something like being a spaceship or you're going to be a fireman or you're playing in a store. Um, anything like that where the child is kind of acting out um, a social situation as real helpful um, for children in their language skills. And adults can sit down and play these kinds of things with them. All right, if we're working with communication disorders, um, the strategies that are kind of going to be helpful are to make sure that um, our person isn't sitting next to something distracting. It's going to make it more difficult for them to process um, if they're being distracted. So they're going to need to focus more than your typical child will. Um, you want to take distractions out if you possibly can. And these would be auditory distractions that are going to be sounds that are going to interfere with their listening, um, but also visual ones that are going to keep them from focusing where they need to focus. Um, this is really actually quite important when we talk to children, whether they're special needs or not, is to make sure they're actually listening uh, before you give them directions. And you want to, you know, like, look at me, I'm about to tell you something, right? And it's important. And make sure that they are. Um, and then you would give the directions instead of just getting mad they didn't hear what you said. So make sure you're connecting with them. You probably here want to have eye-to-eye -eye contact with them um, so that they know that you're talking to them and you see that they're paying attention.
right, this is one my, I think I told you my son says don't use woman speak. Um, he's always telling me that. Tell me what you want. So be logical. Make sure that when you are giving directions, especially to someone who has trouble processing, that you state it as logically as you can. Do this first. Do this second. Do this third. And so get that sequential order in there. Um, sometimes you may need to paraphrase. You may have chosen words that they don't understand, and you may need to think of another way to give them that information using words that are a little bit simpler. Um, then you want to check. Do you know what you're supposed to do? All right? Did you understand what I said? Um, make sure they do know what you're asking them to do. All right, for some children who really struggle, you may have to do this. You may have to use a visual aid, or uh, if, if they can read, you can use written directions. So visual aid might be a picture of a child brushing his teeth, and you had said brush your teeth, but they didn't understand that. So you show them a picture of a child brushing their teeth, and that would help them know that's what they're supposed to do. Um, if they can read, some kids actually read and they can't understand, which is kind of odd to me. They don't understand oral, but they can read. Um, then you write it out. Go brush your teeth. All right. And you would be able to supplement then what you were asking them to do. All right. There are some communication variations that we want to look at. One thing to be really, really important that we get is that a dialect is not... A problem. It's not considered a um, language or a speech impairment. These are just language variations that tend to be very systematic in the area where they are spoken. They have rules that they follow. So you've got like your southern dialect, you've got your Cajun dialect. Um, there are going to be others. Um, no one in that area would go to speech therapy or every kid in the area would have to go um, but if they move to another part of the country where their dialect is not common then they may be um, put into speech therapy be sure that you are at least sensitive to the fact that there are different cultural values when it comes to speech and you want to accept um, all of the different dialects and, and languages that are out there so you would be respectful of that and especially the region in which you live um, one thing to look at too are children who speak a non-standard English. Um, this is what their home language is. This is what they're learning in their home. This is particularly going to be true of um, African American children. Um, they've picked up the language of their culture. Um, we do not consider that a speech or a language impairment even though it might not be standard English. What we'll do is just teach them standard English um, this is kind of what we would expect for school, and then they usually are going to be able to shift back and forth between those two um, at home speaking um, the type of English that they would and then coming and speaking standard English at school.